So I like to level set during my presentation with everyone, my audience. And part of level setting for me, it's really important to to figure out how do we all come together around this specific presentation? So I am assuming that you all have positive intentions, right? Positive intentions in how you see yourself, positive intentions in how you see others. And my hope is that you can leverage and utilize your positive intention in how you see others in order to open up and be receptive of this presentation. And how do you bring your positive intention to life, right? Well, there's this there's, there's two concepts that I deal with, which one is the being, which is your mindset, your perspective that's happening internally. And then what's happening internally can only make an impact if you act upon it through your doing, which is what you measured as impact. So in this presentation today, I am going to talk about a lot of different things, but I just want to remind you, if you have positive intentions of how you see others, what are you doing in order to bring those positive intentions to life? So then those positive intentions that are internally could be your actual impact. So Juneteenth is, 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 is a, such an incredible, incredible, incredible um, holiday uh, and I just want to highlight that uh, to the, the Congress is going uh, past unanimous, unanimously for Juneteenth to become a June 19th to become a national federal holiday and all it's waiting for it's Biden to sign it, which is kind of crazy to think about that, that the fact that it's taken this long for this day to actually be memorialized. And I wanted to kind of just give a little bit of origin of Juneteenth and then we can get into my personal story. I know you have different speakers and presenters that are going to be presenting to you around the theme of Juneteenth. So I wanted to just make sure that I'm level setting with you so you um, so we're we're in coherence in how my presentation will go. What is Juneteenth? On June 19, 1865, about two months after the Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Apatox VA, Gordon Granger, a union general, arrived in Calvinston, Texas to inform enslaved African-Americans of their freedom and that the Civil War was has ended. General Granger's announcement put into the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been issued more than two and a half years earlier on January 1st. 1865 by President Abraham Lincoln. So we're saying the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared all slaves as free, happened two and a half years prior to this announcement arriving in Texas. And on June 19, 1865, enslaved African Americans in Galveston, Texas, were told they were free a century and a half later. People in this city and town across the U.S. continue to celebrate this occasion. And Juneteenth was an annual holiday commemorating the end of slavery in the United States and has been celebrated 
by African Americans since eight, since the 1800s. So remember earlier when I said um, you leveraging your positive intentions of how you see others. I wanted to kind of ground us here a little bit, right? So, so in the past, right, there was about. 350 to 400 years of slavery. And part of the narrative around slavery was that another human being, right, with a different skin color was not equal to another human being with a different skin color. So that's ideology, right? Mindset. But that translated into actual actions and behaviors for over 400 years. So it wasn't just an idea that this person is not equal to me, but it actually manifested through the doing, through their action, which oppressed them for 300 and 400 years. And then in, in, in 1863, after a civil war that tore the country apart declares those individuals who were not viewed and treated as equal humans as free, equal humans. So when we talk about the, 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 the magnitude of that declaration, if I would come back to you based on your positive intention of how you see others, would you say that's a pretty big deal? Would you say that's significant? If a group of people that were treated less than others solely because of their skin color and where they came from are now Hold on for a second. They were treated like this for 300 to 400 years. And now, from a national standpoint, they say, oh, no. They're as equal as we are. We are giving them, we are granting them their sovereignty to not be people's possessions anymore. Would you say that's a big deal? Unfortunately, we don't have Emancipation Proclamation Day as we have other holidays like Independence Day, Memorial Day, right? Th th those other holidays are so significant to us when we think about American history, when, you, when we think about the founding of our country. Those holidays are so significant. They mean so much to us. And there's other events that have played out over the years, over the history of this country, that when we look back, we, there's, there's a sense of pride and there's a sense of dignity, right? Even, even let's, let's fast forward, right? Let's, fa let's fast forward in, 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 in 1940s, right? Issues, things have happened during that time. When, when we think about Pearl Harbor, right? Like, we feel a certain way when we see memorable Memories of what happened there and, and how, you know, the different celebratory that we do in order to honor what happened in those. But for some reason, when it comes to events and days, 
that freed black people in this country, we don't really celebrate it holistically. And Juneteenth, for many, many years, as you saw in my earlier in my slide, since the 1800s, African Americans celebrated this day as a significant day, even though the genesis of it comes from Garvinson, Texas, where they found out that they were free two and a half years later after the general announcement was made, they started celebrating it. And then over time, it's, it's just been taking over. But today, what we've experienced within the last year and a half or so has created almost this new awakening in America. I don't know if it's artificial. I don't know if it's real. It's not my point to judge it. Remember, it's our action that determines where our intentions are. So the celebration continues to resonate in this new ways, given the sweeping changes and the widespread of protest across the U.S. over the last year following a guilty verdict of a killing of Mr. Floyd. So you're, so you're telling me, based on the examples that I just gave of America freeing slaves, that it's taken over all these years for us to now say, oh, yeah, maybe we should highlight and acknowledge the fact that slaves were set free. It's taken that long? But it's okay because what happens is, and it's really important to keep this in mind because there's different perspectives of how people see the world around them based on their community, based on who you're associated with, based on your upbringing, and yes, also based on your skin color and what privileges or non-privileges experiences that you get, based on your socioeconomics. My point and focus for my presentation today is to help you understand why Juneteenth is an important day, not just for African-Americans, but why it's an important day for all Americans and how we can come alongside it and make it personal, just like the same way we make other holidays personals to us. Yes, when you look at the history of the experiences that happened to black people in America, it's not a good experience. But that shouldn't justify your ability to be aware of those experiences, but more importantly, celebrate a day like Juneteenth. And I know for some of you hearing me, hearing me talk about this, you know, you might feel a little trigger in your heart. You might feel uncomfortable. You're like, is this really what I want to hear during my lunch? You know, we thought it was just going to be a little, you know, story about this kid, this guy who came to America from Africa and he, he found his way. But if I can't ground us in the significance of this day, then my presentation doesn't really mean anything. So, so that's, that's where I wanted to start. That's where I wanted to ground us. I guess someone is not muted. I think it's Todd. Todd Hart, you want to mute yourself. We don't want to hear your secrets. So, the, 
So the reason why I put this photo up, these photos up, it's it's the result of some of this some of this atrocity that occurred within the last year is what has caused us to be more receptive to either acknowledge African American experiences or follow the trends of corporate, right? Like the, a, a society gets to a point sometimes we, we're, we're reactionary to what the masses do. And, and I think in this case, it's a really good thing that the masses have been more open and receptive to um, talk about positive or negative experiences that African-Americans have in this country. But it's been amplified within the last year because of these horrendous experiences that happened that led to people actually dying, the persecution of these individuals. So I want to tell you a little bit about a little bit about myself. I grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in the heart of Africa. But I li- I've, I've, I've lived in America for the last 21 years, right? So I'll, some of you guys are like, oh, he's, he, he's, he wasn't even born here. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context here. And why Juneteenth is important for me as somebody who was originally born in the Congo and migrated to America to restart his life. The experiences that I have today as a black skinned person in America, it's afforded by those who came before me that lay the foundation for me to be treated differently. Even as far as actually me presenting to you today, probably wouldn't have happened if the frictional challenging that occurred over many, many decades of changing the experiences for everyone, especially those with black skin. So, I want to elevate that, but I also want to tell you a little bit of how disconnected I personally was around black skin experiences in America as an outsider who moved here. I I originally came from a war torn country that led to my father's assassination. And my family moved to a refugee camp in Benet. Do you know what's crazy about my family moving to Benet and then ending up from Benet to America? Benet is a Western Africa country. And the country of Benet was the hub of where slaves were gathered. And the, for most of those slaves, the last piece of Africa that they saw was the shore of Benet before they got transported to Northern America or Southern America. And in my journey, that's the same journey that my family took when we left the Congo. We ended up in a refugee camp in Benet, and then we came to America, except my journey was completely different. I came to America because my family and I were looking for a better life. We were looking for freedom. We were looking for an opportunity to stay alive. Where contrary to that, the slaves that came to America, they came to America not by choice. 
They came to America because they became a commodity. They became a commodity, commodity that can be transferred ownership from one person to another. That was their journey. And when they landed in the shores of America, they had no sovereignty and no power. They couldn't decide, hey, I want to be, I want to be sold to this slave, this slave master or to that slave master. Oh, I want to keep my children together. We're going to be slaves, but I'm going to keep my children. I want to keep my family together. No, that was not their choice. The slave master decided what they, what they were going to do with them and who had the highest bid. And they already determined what the price was. And when I came here, it was a different story. I came to a country where when you think about it, you think about freedom, you think about prosperity, you think about the second chance of life. And when my family landed in Manchester, New Hampshire, the coldest place on earth in February, it was a dream come true. I found myself in a community that was predominantly white. And those people are the ones that came alongside my family, knocking at the door. Hey, we heard a family from Congo just moved. Do you need anything? How can I help you? What's your situation? How did you end up here? We didn't speak the language. We didn't know anybody. Except that the international world through the UN and the US Commission of Refugees were able to select my family to move to this country. But those who came alongside me looked nothing like me. They made us believe that we can have a second chance. And move forward. When those slaves landed in the shores of this country, they had no idea what their experiences was going to be. And unfortunately, for over 400 years, that lineage was oppression, destruction, dehumanization, experimentation, and sometimes sexual mules. So in American culture, we have desensitized the truth and the reality of experiences that black people had in this country during slavery. But we also desensitized the truth and the reality of the experiences that black people had post-slavery and even during Jim Crow segregation in 19, 1900s, all the way up to mid-1900s, and when most people say the golden, the golden era for African American was actually during the 50s and 60s, because that's when you saw some of the most advantageous, advantageous rules that really deconstructed the oppression that occurred, that held African-American people down for so long. But even today, some of those same perspectives are still permeated into the society that we're in. And for some of us, we're quick when we depict, when we have negative depictions of people that have black skin, we 
we are so quick to completely put the blame on them versus our openness to understand the different moving parts that might have contributed to the situations that they have. And I'm not necessarily saying that every negative issue that African-Americans have experienced, at least now, it's caused by slavery or it's caused by white people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there are certain institutional structures that, have been, that were put in place during slavery, post-slavery, during segregation, have continued on even today. So I just wanted to, I want to ground us in this. Because when we desensitize ourselves in how we think of, about the black experience in America, it makes us feel like, oh, it's just a novelty. Oh, yeah, slavery happened for 400 years. Yeah, they were finally set free. Look, today we have athletes. We have, we have you know, superstars. We have all this stuff. Yes, black success does exist. But when you talk about the oppressions that occur, it doesn't take away from the independency and the success the blacks have had today. But it's an opportunity to look at how certain things that are put in place are still occurring today. And what does it mean for us as a human and how we come alongside one another? That's where the opportunity lies. Not the partisans that we're experiencing that forces us to pick side and takes away from the human experience. And if we continue to think of one another in that manner, we're never going to come to the same grounding of how we want to see each other and how we want to see others see us and how we want to treat each other. And I'm going to go back to what I was saying earlier. If you have positive intentions towards others, then it's an opportunity for you to have that self-evaluation to saying how I'm showing up. But if you don't have the experiences that informs how you see others, then you're always going to revert back to your own opinion. And unfortunately, in America, even today, we don't really have share experiences cross-culturally on a consistent basis for us to truly know each other. So when we experience areas where we're divided, it's so much easier for us to pick sides versus come together. So when I, when I moved to America, something interesting happened. A lot of the folks that came alongside me, like I said, New Hampshire was a predominantly white space. They were predominantly white. The only area where I saw a lot of diversity was actually in my ESL classes. In elementary school, you know, I was in an ESL class, English school learning, where you learn English and you're... So in, in those classes, I had some, some friends that were from Bosnia, Dominican Republic, from different places throughout Africa, Iraq. But in my social circle at home, most of the people that came, at least the first two years, three years, they were predominantly white. But something interesting happened. African immigrants that were here prior to my family, they started to help. To this, they tried to help my mom understand how she needed to position us so then we didn't occur to be a threat to the white community. So here's some example. Hey, Bernadette. Make sure the kids are not wearing baggy clothes. 
What do you think the comparison was coming from? The comparison of those African, those African immigrants that we befriended was coming from how they depicted black Americans and the negative narrative that's associated with black Americans. So they felt like if this family, hey, here's a single mother with four children, all boys, if she's going to have people that are going to be alliances with them, especially if they're white, they got to make sure that they're positioning themselves in a way that it increases the likelihood for people to help them. So by that, it might not, it might not be good at all if they had any black American traits that they carried with them. Because nobody's going to see them as immigrants from Africa. They're going to see them just like another black person. So therefore, the negative narrative that comes with that might be they're poor, they're drug dealers, they're going to steal your money, they're going to lie to you, they don't want to work hard, they're going to rely on social welfare and, and all of this stuff. So they even went as far as telling my mom how we can appear. They said, don't, 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 wait, don't let them wear baggy clothes. Don't let them listen to hip-hop music. Don't braid their hair. You don't want to braid their hair. And my mother said, my family, we overcame the craziest atrocity that resulted in my husband's assassination. Now here we have a chance of second life and you're telling me that my kids, I can't, braid my, I can't braid my kids' hair, or they can't wear baggy clothes, or they can't dance hip-hop, or they can't listen to hip-hop music. And she started distancing herself. But I didn't realize this until later on in my life, what they were doing. After two and a half years of being in America, I joined an organization called Youth with the Mission Joshua Generation. It was a performing art program through a Christian organization where they would do community outreach in inner city America through performing dances, storytelling, and evangelism. That's what they did, right? A local church that I went to, predominantly white church, the organization was predominantly white. They reached out and said, hey, Bernadette, do you think you can let Dale do this program? So that's after me being in America for two and a half years, I had an opportunity to do this program. And this program was based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You're there for a week and a half. And then after that, whatever CD that you're going to work with. So this was the first time I got exposed to the true diversity of America. And when I went, my first year, we ended up at West Side Chicago. West Side and East Side Chicago. It was an eye-opening to me. Because it, it wasn't the same as where I, where I lived for the first two and a half years. All of a sudden, I'm in West Side, East Side, Chicago. The community, the culture, the music, the dance, the food, the family. I was amazed by what was presented. But at the same time, I also was able to see some of the disparities. So what would happen is these this churches, these mega churches or wealthier churches would invite the organization and then they would bring them to the communities that they want to serve in. And the community that they wanted to serve were predominantly, sometimes very inner city, poor community. And when I would go there, it was really interesting because most of the time people would look at me and say, 
Look at this black guy with all this white guy. Huh? What, 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 is he, what is he doing here? And then I would get on the mic to tell my story of some of the craziest thing that I saw. And people would come up to me after and say, wow, that encouraged me. That brought life to me. At first, most of, my, most of the, the, the presentation that I was making early on was just really just comparing the craziness that I experienced in Congo during the Civil War versus the opportunities that are here in America. But those are two different experiences, by the way. So I, I don't even know why the leaders of this organization didn't really coach me properly in how to tell my story without making those distinctive comparison because my experience through a civil war is completely different than someone who lives in a poor neighborhood in Chicago not saying that all black people live in poor neighborhood in Chicago but the neighborhoods that I worked with through that program were predominantly poor to not make that comparison but one thing that would happen was I would tell them that you know for 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 three months straight, every couple of seconds, I heard gunshots sounding like 4th of July, but people were dying from it. I'll tell them stories that I walked a boulevard where 80 people had tires over their body and they were being burned to life. And that woke, that woke people up when they were hearing their stories because they were able to see, wow, I'm not going through that right now. That's not the reality here. Yeah, sometimes people get shot in my neighborhood, but I'm not hearing it like it's 4th of July and it's nonstop. And that's how I started to build connections and relationships with those communities that I was visiting. So if you see on the top right picture where I'm standing in this park, this park is actually a park in Jamaica, Queens, in Queens, New York. This was much, much later. I was involved with this program, by the way, for 14 years. From the time I was in middle school until after I graduated college, I still gave up my summer to be involved with this program. So this is literally what it would look like. We would show up at a park, invite the community, and you know, I might teach dance or perform, and then I'll, you know, I'll tell my story. And then that work started translating into schools, community centers, homeless shelters. So some of the pictures that you're seeing, this one in the middle is from, um, that's uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, a, private, uh, a charter school that was being shut down. The community felt like this was going to bring them hope that they had a better opportunity. Four years later, that charter school didn't perform in the standard that the, that, that, that the people that were measuring it wanted to, and then they were going to shut it down. So when I was there, I was talking to the students. How do you feel about it? What does it mean for you? Where are you going to go to school next year? And then the one on the left, this is, this is a school in inner city Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That was my experience for almost 13 years. By the time I graduated out of high school, I this, the, the organizations that I worked with over the summer would start inviting me during my school break. So I just told you earlier, came out of a crazy experience in the Congo, ended up in a refugee camp. And I had, that refugee camp was in Benet, where Benet was also the source and the hub where slaves came to America, except I came here to find a better hope and freedom living in a predominantly white community, you got other immigrants telling my mother how to raise us and how we can carry ourselves so we can be less intimidated to the white culture. And then I end up joining an organization that's predominantly white that takes me to inner city America. And now I get to understand the experiences of other ethnicity in different communities in America. But that still didn't inform me of the history 
the history of this country. Because school didn't teach me the history of this country at its face value regarding African-American or other minority groups that were marginalized. The times that the school taught me about it, it was very watered down. Teachers just ran through, ran through the, the, the assignment. Oh, yeah, and this happened and that happened. Oh, here Tubman. Oh, here Frederick Douglass. Hey, there's oh, Martin Luther King. Hey. It was until I got to college is when I started to spend some time really learning, reading W. Du Bois' book around the reconstruction after the abolish of slavery reading all these different stories and starting to give me context. So one of the things that I realized at that moment, it was the narrative that America has around what is a good black person, what is an intimidating black person, what is a bad black person, And being in a predominantly white space, I had some really good relationships with a lot of white community. And I started to realize later on, I was like, wow, like this is not really the norm for so many people. And I also realized that a lot of the questions that I was being asked early on, some of the families, I was like the first black person that came over, slept over, or, or they, they took out for lunch or dinner. So when we think about Juneteenth, it's about, it's about celebrating a monumental action that was made that took a group of human beings who are the same as another group of human beings and said, you are free to be yourself. Yes, and you know exactly, some of you guys know what happened after that. It took many, many years for even some of the changes to happen. But that is monumental. So when you think of Juneteenth, it's less about, it's less about the fictionalization of it. It's more about the tangibility of it. The same way that you think of Independence Day Memorial Day. That should be the same way you think of Juneteenth. So what are we not taught about slavery? Right? Slavery laid the foundation for the modern international economic system. We relied on, the world relied on free labor. The world relied on the expertise and the endurance and the tenacity of Africans in order to push the economy of the world forward. Yes, when you look at history, black people are not the only groups of people that were, that were slaves. But in the emphasis of what transpired, so just, just to give you some context, within a 350-year time frame, over 12 million African slaves were brought to either Northern or Southern America. 12 million. The African econ 
economic skills were a leading reason for enslavement. African possessed unique expertise which European require to their colonial ventures to be successful. Africans knew how to grow and cultivate crops in tropical and semi-tropical climates. African rice growers, for instance, were capturing in order to bring their agriculture knowledge to America and overseas to the Caribbean. The third one, African know how to trans transform slave economies into some of the wealthiest on the planet. The fruits of slave trade funded the growth of global empires. The greatest source of wealth for imperial France was the white gold of sugar produced by Africans in Haiti and other places. More riches flowed to Britain from slave economy of Jamaica than all of the original American 13 colonies. And a lot, of, a lot of this stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm stating, like, that, this is just some little stuff. Like, you can do the research. Like, you can literally Google, like, how did slavery benefit the, the economic structure of the world? And, you, and, and when you are acquiring those knowledge, it should do something to you in order to understand why those infrastructures were put in place and were so hard to the extent of where people went to make sure that it stayed in place. The next one. Until it was destroyed by the Civil War, slavery made American South the richest and most powerful region in America. This was true even during colonial era. Virginia was its richest colony. And George Washington was one of the wealthiest people because of his slaves. The majority of the new country's presidents and Supreme Court justice were Southerners and they had slaves. So when we talk about the foundation of this country, yes, there's been great renaissance, great evolution, great technology, great political structures and policies. But all those foundational things that happened was on the backs of slaves. So when, so when you think of America, yes, think of America from all of its riches that you and I both benefits from. But when you run away from the history of how a certain group of people were treated and what they did to contribute to the wealth and the structure of this country, then you're bypassing the reality of what those experiences were. And that's the problem that we face today. Even though we're becoming more receptive of this whole social idea of black rights, black opportunity, equality, and justice, if you only view it from a fictional or from an artificial lens, you're never going to get to the root and the essence of what it actually means for black skinned people of the past, of today, and hopefully of the future. So that's why Juneteenth, it's such an important, important holiday.
The defense of slavery more than taxes was pivotal to America's Declaration of Independence. The South had a long resisted Northern calls to leave the British Empire. That's because the South sold most of its slave-produced products to Britain and relied on British Navy to protect the slave trade. So just listen to that real quick. The South had a long-resistant Northern call to leave the British Empire. Why? Because of the resources and the access that they received through slavery and the security that they received through the British Navy to protect those slave trade. The brutalization and the psychological torture of slave was designed to ensure that plantations stayed in the black financially. That's why it wasn't just you are a slave. It was how can we deconstruct your being so you don't think that you are equal, that you always have this belittling nobody mindset in the larger construct of your existence as a human. Hold up for a second. Like that was deliberate. Every tactic and strategy a slave owner put in place was to put a slave on their place in how they depicted them. And those psychological trauma for, three and a three, for over 300 years was passed on generationally and generationally and generationally. And even after slavery, we saw our system in this country continue to implement policies and rules that continue to dehumanize black-skinned people in America. And the craziest thing is a lot of our economic structure, so you guys are financial institutions, so I'm going to give you a little one and twos. When you start looking at some of the legacy financial institution in America, you can see some of their ties right back to their involvement around slavery. If it was agriculturally, if it was through slave trade, some of our big financial institutions that have legacy history that tracks back to 1800s, middle of 1800s, you can see that. So how do you think the mindset of those institutions during that time period depicted and treated their assets? And how do you think those institutions felt when the changes started to occur, like in Emancipation Proclamation? How did you think that those institutions also felt in the early 1900s? How did you think that they felt during the civil, the civil, the civil right era? That's all perspective to keep us grounded. I know I gave you all so much today. My goal for this presentation 
was to ground us, to ground us in the significance of Juneteenth. And here I am, somebody who didn't start their journey in this country, but I have benefited so much by being in this country, the richest country on earth, where if you work hard, you can bring your dreams to reality. But it doesn't mean that we justify or we sweep the negative aspect of our infrastructure under the rug and pretend like they don't exist. So as we think about Juneteenth moving forward, now that it's becoming a national federal holiday, what does it mean for you? How can you actualize it so it's an actual being and doing ownership than just, oh, uh, here it is, another holiday. Oh, you know, black, those black people, they finally got a hol- another holiday. First it was Martin Luther King, now it was Juneteenth. What's going on? Are we going to just celebrate every holiday for every people in this country? But me, a little boy, who went through a civil war that killed his father, a mother who had tenacity and courage to bring their family for a better chance of life ended in America, a country that has good history, bad history. But I have been afforded the privilege that I have today on the backs of those who pay the ultimate sacrifice, which was their life, in order for me to stand here today. So when you think of Juneteenth, think about the significance of what it means. Not just for African Americans, but what it means for you. So I'll stop. We have seven minutes. I would love to open it up for questions. I know I just kind of went like bang, 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 bang. But thank you so much for allowing me to join you all today in this, in your Juneteenth series of presenters. And I'm going to leave the last seven minutes for questions. Thank you. Waltham, you are on mute. So if you have questions, you're going to have to unmute. <coughs> just unmute There you go. Um, 